If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm Alexa Von Tobel, and this week, you're going to meet Melind Mahir, founder and CEO of Yield Street, a digital wealth management platform focused on income generation. Melind is a seasoned entrepreneur, having co-founded and scaled Yodel, an ad tech platform, to over $200 million in revenue, 1,400 employees, and exited for $342 million. Melinda founded Yield Street in 2014 and has seen tremendous growth to date. Last year, Yield Street was included in the Inc. 5000 list of the fastest growing companies in the United States and was ranked the fastest growing company in New York. Let's welcome Melinda. Hey, Melinda, so excited to see you. I'm so happy to have you here today. I want to just start with first things first for people. What is Yield Street in your own words and what was your vision there? So Alexa, first of all, thank you. It's uh, exciting to uh, to be part of this podcast, especially as we're all uh, locked up in our houses. Uh, so Yield Street, uh, simply put, is a digital wealth and investment platform. And we focus on providing access to alternative investments that are typically not available uh, to, uh, to people. And the goal is to generate uh, passive income and get people on a road towards uh, financial security and ultimately financial independence. Can you give people just a simple example of, let's say today I go on Yield Street, what can I do and what sort of things can I invest in? Yes, of course. So when I say alternative investments, they're across a variety of different asset classes. And I'll take an example of real estate, which is the most uh, common and well-known asset class. But we also do investments across art, marine finance, commercial loans, uh, legal finance, etc., so uh, an investment that typically you would find on Yield Street would be a real estate, uh, a commercial real estate opportunity. So it could be a warehouse that is leased out. And what uh, you are investing in is typically uh, debt on that property. And that property is leased out, is generating income. And that income is used to pay your, uh, to, to our investors their, their interest. So that's typically an investment you would see on the platform. And these investments were typically done by institutional funds, such as the likes of the Blackstones and the Apollos and the Fortresses of the world. And what we are trying to do is open that access up to accredited investors. I want to go back. You were a serial entrepreneur. You sold Yodel for $342 million. Walk us through, post that sale, what was your journey like to decide to go build Yield Street? And did you need to take a year off and let your brain just like calm down? Um, how did you think about going from one major exit to, to leaning back into the fire and jumping into the arena to build another company? That's a really great question, Alexa. The, in my opinion, the best companies are, are the ones where founders kind of feel the pain themselves and try to solve the problem for themselves. Much akin to kind of how you started, uh, you know, LearnVest. 
And so the story of Yale Street actually started much before I actually sold Yoda. Uh, it was rooted in the last financial crisis of 2008 and 2009. And 2009, I looked at my portfolio and it was down 40 to 50%, like most of the people, right? And I had two reactions. One was anger towards Wall Street because I was a pretty prudent consumer. Me and my wife had saved money, 401k, 529, etc. And here I was left holding the bag with my portfolio down 50% without no fault of mine, which is very similar to the current environment, right? Where the S&P and Dow has fallen 30, 40% swings in the last you know, two or three months. And for me, that was really a frustrating moment. On the other side, I thought as an entrepreneur and I realized two things. I don't have access to non-correlated investments and I don't have access to uh, income generating investments. Everything is tied to the stock market. So no access to any investment outside the stock market. So that was the first time the seed was sown that I need to get access. So obviously like a good consumer, I yep. called up my financial advisor. I said, hey, can I get access to something that's not correlated to the market that can generate income for me? And he started laughing at me. He said, at your investment level, no. Unless you're a high net worth individual willing to invest seven figure money, and lock your money for seven to 10 years, that's how alternative funds work. You will not get access to it. And so I was dejected, but being an entrepreneur, I started doing some of these investments that you see on real estate more privately, in, you know, when my yodel was still scaling. This was 2011, 2012. And then uh, Jobs Act happened, and uh, that you know, you know, lowered the, the threshold for accredited investors to invest. And you remember this, there was a big wave of companies like Lending Club and OnDeck and SoFi and Angels List and LearnVest. And yep. a lot of people were trying to solve this kind of investment uh, angle. And you know, obviously then Robinhood and Betterment, all of these things came about. And so that was really where I thought that, you know, uh, it is very important to take this idea to the next level. And can we provide access to alternative investment in a simple, transparent, and easy to understand form? Now, Bear in mind, I am not a financial services guy, right? I'm a tech entrepreneur and I had never, I had done personal investment, but never professional investment. So that's really where my co-founder, Michael Wise, uh, comes into picture. He came from the uh, credit fund alternative investment world. And his main problem was uh, the way to raise capital was, you know, very broken. And uh, there were a lot of middlemen, it was highly inefficient. And he had become successful by taking money from some uh, high net worth individual and creating his funds and things like that. And being a, a millennial, he was very uh, tech, tech forward. So he said, hey, can we kind of uh, use uh, online brand building and go direct to consumers and you know, remove some of these efficiencies that happen in capital raising and investing on Wall Street? So we had very complementary skill set where he understood investment management, risk management compliance. I understood tech, marketing, brand building. And that's really, you know, uh, how the genesis of Yield Street happened. And so as I was, uh, you know, exiting Yodel, I did take some time off and cleared my mind. And I was very passionate about this whole topic of how do you help people be on a path to financial independence? And Alexa, you and I have to spoken a lot about it, like digressing a little bit here. One of my also inspirations was the book Hillbilly Elegy, which became very popular during the you know, last kind of four or five years ago during the election cycle. And we speak a lot about, if you think about financial services, a lot of the focus over the last 30, 40 years have been around 
giving people debt, right? Credit card debt, auto loan, yep. real estate. Yep. And this is really the genesis even for LearnVest, which is how do you kind of take a different approach to helping people think through how can they generate income and not go further into debt, right? And, and that was really the rallying cry for me, which is like, hey, can we create a platform that is not focusing on you know, putting people more into debt, but getting them out of it and getting them to create this alternative income source that can help some fuel some of their life's needs and ambitions. So that was really kind of those mission coming together for me. How do you think that impacts how you think about Yield Street coming and living through COVID? In some ways, we feel that this type of a market dislocation is really one of the ways for Yield Street to uh, show the power of a platform like Yield Street. Yep. So, you know, let's go back to the last crisis, right? When most of the market is fearful, what happens? Askute investors, pros on Wall Street, legends like Howard Marks and Warren Buffett and uh, John Paulson, they come in and make bets because they are sitting on capital. So when the market is fearful, they jump in, right? And, uh, and then take advantage of the market and you know, derive excellent returns. What happens to people like us, like retail investors, market is going down, you feel that, oh, it's not going to go down and you stay invested. When it bottoms out, you are fearful and you get out. Then you don't want to get back in when the U is happening on the market and market is recovering. And then you wait till it comes back up and then you invest and you miss that opportunity. And uh, so, so I think for us, when we think about this market dislocation, you will see in the coming weeks and months, Yield Street will get access to better quality borrowers, better type of assets, because again, there is going to be pricing change that's going to happen as a result of this market dislocation. And uh, we continue to believe that we will be able to get uh, access to much, uh, you know, we'll get access to attractive risk-adjusted investments. And uh, this is the first time where we can educate our investor base because it's the first time in our history we have seen this cycle. Uh, continue to educate our investor base about the pros and cons of you know, jumping in this type of a market and yep. really throughout the model that they can get in and take advantage of this dislocation. And for everybody out there building fintech companies and thinking about maybe building a fintech company, how do you think about establishing trust? As you know, in the investment and financial planning business, trust is number one, it's paramount. Right, it can. Uh, without that, you cannot really have a platform. I want to just clarify one thing. While when we launch investments, they uh, get subscribed in in uh, in, in a short uh, time period. Um, we want to make sure that our listening audience understand that what happens is we uh, send uh, information and upload information about those investments several days in advance. So the investors that uh, are investing in those offerings have a few days to actually look at the investment memorandum. Uh, look at all the materials that are provided to then come back and, and make an investment on the platform. So when the investment launches, all they're doing is just choosing the amount, but they've already done their research and they already uh, are familiar with it. On top of that, we also do several education pieces before investment launches on the asset class and things like that. So that's, I want to just clarify that for our audience. Now, with regards to going back to your question around trust, I think one of the things that we earlier on decided was transparency and simplicity was the key tenants of the platform. And yeah. what one of the things we wanted to do was, and which is again, very akin to what you were trying to do with, with content on, on LearnVest, we felt that knowledge-based investing is, uh, is a key aspect of making sure that the consumers are educated about what are these type of investments and why they should, um, why they should um, 
uh, invest. So for us, our dream was like, hey, can we fuse Khan Academy with Investopedia, with TED Talks to kind of create that engagement? And over a period of time, we have generated a tremendous amount of content, long form, short form. We do webinars. Uh, and and we whenever we're launching a new type of investment or an asset class, we do uh, you know we do bunch of educational material so that we can get investors uh, uh, we can get investors engaged and educated on on the platform. And then what happens is through uh, through a period of time you build that level of trust. I think yeah. the other way to build trust is obviously to to make sure that. Uh, uh, you say what you're going to say and then and and then perform, right? So I think one of the early decisions we made was, which was again very much um, important to me as a consumer was, I wanted to see that income generation. So if you think about our experience on a trading platform or an investing platform like our 401k, you don't see the money come to your account, right? Your experience is as a working professional, you have your salary coming in to your bank account and a whole lot of bills going out, right? Yeah. And what we wanted to do is show that this uh, uh, investment generate income. So we started sending the money back to our investors account. And so you could, once you started investment, investing in the first month, first quarter, you would see that, oh, $300 from you know, investment four, $700 for investment 10 is coming into your account. So that was a wow moment for the consumer. And to have that level of transparency, to have all the fees uh, you know, uh, uh, disclosed, and all the risk and pros and cons discourse was very, very important for us, uh, us to do that. And then over a period of time, obviously, we, we, developed, uh, uh, we developed the record and you know, we have uh, uh, over 100 investments that are fully matured and paid off. And we have returned uh, you know, over $600 million of capital back to our investors. And so all of these price points um, you know, add to that trust and credibility and, you know, but at the same time, we are, you know, we want to make sure that our investors understand that they're investing in, you know, high yield 8% plus investments. Uh, and by some nature, there will be some uh, defaults and things like that. And, and we obviously encourage people to diversify their, their portfolio. And we are also creating diversified uh, products. So we are just, you know, launched a, a product called Yield Street Prism Fund. And the idea there would be, you invest once in that fund and you get access to a, a diversified set of investments over time that go into that fund. Um, so there are a bunch of things that we are doing to you know, ensure that we are uh, building trust uh, and credibility with our investor base. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Cardin knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suites helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. How do you think about working with the large players, the large incumbents in the space? Given that you know we ourselves are obviously a regulated business and financial services is a very conservative uh, place, right? Especially large companies. I think patience is hugely important and getting them familiar and comfortable with your business model is hugely important. So some of our enterprise partnerships that we have announced in the last year or so have been in the making for, for several quarters or several years. And over a period of time, you know, you have to make sure that you're buttoned up and uh, from a compliance risk standpoint, 
and uh, you are uh, you know you you kind of build that credibility with uh, with them so i think that is super important uh, and again it all really depends on the type of partnership so you know if you are doing more like technical infrastructure level work then that might be a very different way to engage with uh, large banks or or uh, large financial institutions versus our type of business which is in the invest investing and 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 kind of wealth management space and there there is a lot uh, to the previous point in terms of uh, the platform and the trust and the credibility and making sure that we are uh, set up correctly and so we've done that over the period of time and that's how we've been successful what has been your approach to capitalizing the business especially knowing that you're a serial entrepreneur so you sold your last company for 342 million dollars how did you think about fundraising this time around and did it change at all yeah it's definitely definitely changed and uh, i think i always advise entrepreneurs with regards to fundraising is that obviously the best uh, situation is to never take external funds right but again i think what what happens is that you always want to make the uh, the the trade off between kind of uh, growth and scale with the appropriate fundraising and yeah, i was very conservative in uh, in the early days of raising capital uh, for me the number one thing was am i aligned with my investors with regards to the mission of the company that was super important to me because if you are a, if you are a believer in wealth management and the broad trends that are happening in financial planning uh, that was super important to me and then generally i have uh, me and my you know co-founder michael have been very conservative he comes from financial services so he does not have the tech mindset that you know we can lose uh, it's fashionable to lose money he was always very focused on on revenue generation and making sure that we build a solid business so uh, that was really uh, the approach that i took and we focused not only and i always tell uh, when i'm advising founders it's not ideas are obviously important but ideas are dime a dozen execution yep. is is absolutely critical and so our focus was when we launched even like 5 years ago our focus was is this a product that the market wants and yep. how is it because you know we are selling alternative investments online without ever meeting anybody right so what do we need to do to kind of uh, engage our audience build that trust and get people to invest on their own because they are making their own decisions about investing and yep. we want to make sure that we provide them all the information that they can uh, understand digest and invest so our focus was on execution how to make those process simple how to make onboarding simple and focus on that you know kind of product market fit and so we kept that approach and subsequently you know uh, make sure that we you know raised a capital appropriately with the like minded partners and uh, you know with the like minded venture capitalist Yeah so I want to transition to um you have said before that you are extremely scrappy when it comes to hiring uh again you know how to build teams what is your playbook um if you had to tell me the the core tenants and I'm going to ask I'm going to pull up a question I always ask at the end which is also what is your favorite interview question that you feel like has made you much smarter about a candidate so what's your hiring playbook and what's your favorite interview question so let me start from the second one my favorite interview question is what's your superpower and uh, i also further clarify that i'm not asking for a candidate's strengths and their skill set i'm asking the candidate what is innate about them and it doesn't need to be professional it can be personal so do you have empathy do you have patience do you have ability to connect with people and how do they view their superpower because that tells you a lot about a person's personality 
and I have found out that uh, I have found that that question, though it sounds uh, uh, you know very uh, simplistic, it actually tells a lot about a person's kind of innate insight. How how do they think about themselves and what do they perceive themselves to be? And you'll be amazed at how much you can learn from just listening to them. And once you kind of clarify, because generally the first instinct is that oh, I'm a great organizer. I am very hardworking. Like just jumping to the skills. But then if you, you know, if you ask them to peel the onion back, you can really understand the true personality of the person. My hiring playbook is, uh, so I wrote about this in uh, Entrepreneur Magazine and other, other areas. I think it's very important, two things, right? Is to who you're hiring and what's the sequence, uh, especially when you're starting out, starting out right? Uh, and when, because that time the resources are scarce, as you know, Alexa. So one of the big, uh, you know, when we were starting Yield Street and even in my previous company, one of the big things I did is a lot of times founders who are not writing code themselves, their intention would be like, hey, I know the, the product, what I want to build. Let me just put together three, four engineers and uh, junior engineers, because that's what they can afford and you know, build the build company. I went the opposite. I basically said, hey, I want to hire two experienced ex-CTOs uh, you know, who I could not afford at that time yeah. And you said, hey, we are going to you know, have a great uh, contract and they know the full stack, right? Like front end, back end, database, security, all of that. And we basically created um, uh, you know, a really good kind of launch plan. And we literally, Alexa, launched uh, Yield Street, started coding Jan 4th, launched Yield Street on April 6th, 2015, like in 90 days, right? Like the first version, obviously. And so I think that is very important to understand who you are hiring. The second thing is early days for the first year or two, founders and the initial team is so critical because you're building that foundation for the culture. Culture obviously always evolves for a company as you kind of transition from various phases, but it's so important. So you cannot stick that to a recruitment team or an HR team. You yourself have to be personally involved in hiring uh, the first even hundred people, I would say, uh, if you can. Right, and I tried yeah. to stay true to that as much as I could till my till my schedule just would not permit that. Yeah. Uh, even now, I hire people who you know I really interview and talk to people who are you know at least managers and who are going to manage other people to just make sure that they are on the same page. And then the sequencing aspect, you have to be. I also very I very much focus going back to my previous point on product market fit and revenue generation. So you emphasize those before you can go to other other roles, right? And it sounds simplistic. But you are constantly making those trade-offs uh, because you know you have limited resources, and so to make those trade-offs consciously, Alexa is so important. You know. Yeah, I, I agree. If you had to fast forward ten years, I just want to know some of your predictions that you think about this space, and like, just give us your best crystal ball into the future over the next decade around our wallets. Of course. And you have, you know, you are uh, you are much more of a guru than I am at this, <laughs> having written books uh, on this topic. Um, but uh, but it's really a great question, some something that is very close to my heart. So, if you think about the last decade, Alexa, I feel last decade was the golden age of tech, and why was that? I think one of the single most important aspects was mobile. You know. Apps changed, smartphones changed, and they changed us with, uh, with them, right? And we evolved as a society over the last 10 years. Seven out of the 10 most valuable com companies in the world today are tech companies. 
uh, and you spoke about fintech, right? Fintech is a very broad term, and I don't think fintech has entered that golden age. I think the next decade is the golden age for fintech. So there has been obviously a lot of improvements in digital payments and infrastructure, but you know, even today, the digital payments and ACH infrastructure is from the 60s, based on the NACHA rules of uh, that were set in the 60s, right? So I feel that the next decade is going to be the golden age of fintech. If you think about wealth management, really there has not been a huge, um, huge innovation in the last 30, 40 years there, right? And so how does kind of mobile and our, our life being in this wallet go beyond just, you know, giving you a snapshot of your savings and checking account? Like how does, how do you kind of get towards this concept of uh, self-driving money? How can we engage and get more educated because mobile can let you do that, right? So we have this concept at Real Street about like self, uh, self-driving money. And I'll give you like a you know, broad use case, right? So think about this. You're an investor like on Yield Street and you're getting income, right? Like suddenly you get a notification from us. Hey, Alexa, do you drive a car? You'll say yes. How much is your car payment? 500 bucks. Do you know that you know, you're generating uh, $1,000 from your Yield Street investments? Would you like to pay your car? So you're driving your car for free? You would say, why not? Then you hit click. You're already integrated with Played. So, you know, now you have, you know, like, uh, you know, your Chase or whatever, BMW Financials, you hit click. Uh, at the end of the month, you get a notification saying, hey, Alexa, we just paid your car. You're driving your car for free. Now, would you like to have a debit card? And we will, you know, give you interchange back, right? Uh, and give you 2% cash back. And then, you know, hey, do you have an IRA? Do you know your IRA general cost on a yearly basis, 800 bucks? If you move to Yield Street IRA, we would do it for free. So here, you know, we are kind of connecting the dots in the life of consumer and helping them think of, the, you know, kind of uh, helping them think about what else can their money do, right? How high net worth individuals and family offices and institutions think their money works when they're sleeping. For mere mortals like us, we have to get up in the morning and go to work. So how do you kind of create that self-driving money? And it's now possible because you can educate the consumer. It's now possible because you have mobile devices that are powerful and it's possible because now you can you know you know uh, open up and uh, you know generate that access for 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 consumers and so the idea for for uh, as far as i you know uh, uh, kind of wealth management and fintech is concerned like this this type of idea and of course the example i gave you is 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 a fictional example yep. but that's really where it's going to evolve and like i think if you think about what's happening in china with ant financials they're doing that right they have your kind of consumer data from alibaba and they're now you know using some of that to provide you with integrated financial services. And I think this point solutions that have existed where most of the other markets have uh, gone to more, much more kind of integrated approach. Uh, even if you think about content and what's happening with uh, you know, Netflix and Apple TV and all of that stuff, uh, that's going to come to financial services. And it's not going to be that, hey, I'm going to go to a bank for my banking needs. And then I'm going to go to a financial advisor. Then I'm going to go to a platform like Yield Street. It's going to start, you know, uh, kind of uh, collapsing a little bit, and and you know, you getting that integrated experience for your wallet is going to be very important about how do I generate income, how do I pay my bills, and how do I do that in an automated digital fashion. I think is going to be super important. Obviously, there is going to be a lot of regulatory changes that have to be uh, have along the way, and uh, making sure that the consumers have the right knowledge and the experience to be able to kind of. Uh, you know, participate in this type of a digital revolution.
Got it. I love it. First of all, um, so much of what you said, I obviously agree with. And uh, for everybody out there listening, if you're trying to build anything like that, come call me uh, at Inspired Capital. I want to talk to you. Um, so I just quickly want to spend a few more questions talking about you. You're a serial entrepreneur. Um, you have figured out that you uh, not only love to build businesses, but you're good at it. Um, just give us a sense of what drives you personally as an entrepreneur. Um, did you always know you wanted to build companies? How soon did you know this was your path? I definitely had the entrepreneurial bug, but uh, uh, right, right from uh, you know my first job out of school, uh, I actually had participated almost now, uh, you know, 18, 20 years ago at MIT 50K, which is in one of the first entrepreneurial, con you know, kind of contests that exist, reached the semifinals there. Uh, but it always depends on when you want to take the plunge, and uh, when do you want to work on your own own idea. And for me, uh, uh, it kind of evolved over time. I was always very interested in big ideas and using kind of data and tech, which was my background, to solve those big ideas. So if you think about my career, uh, it happened because I got passionate about solving certain problems. So my background when I started out of school was mostly in enterprise software, and I didn't know digital marketing. And I happened to meet this entrepreneur who really had this vision of how do you kind of, you know, as Google had gone public and was still a small company, we knew that a lot of the uh, offline advertising was going to move online. How can you help small businesses? So it was a very big idea because small business is obviously fabric of our, uh, our economy, right? And it was a massive idea to kind of uh, bring uh, small businesses online. And so it really fascinated me with that challenge. And, uh, you know, that's really where I personally think about what are the big things that I can do and can I influence that in, in any way? And I take a lot of time. So I have an idea book and I literally have, uh, you know, at any point in time, 50 ideas. And I, you know, kind of, some are much more thoughtful. Uh, some are like just kind of scratch pad. And admittedly, I've not updated it in the last couple of years, been very busy with, with Yield Street, but I keep that idea book. And I'm very thoughtful and deliberate uh, a lot more than, you know, some of the entrepreneurs that I know and, and some of my friends that I know. And so I think uh, to have that combination is very important to make sure that it's an idea worth solving. Because what happens is we have such passionate people. I don't want to spend three, four years, you know, working on an idea that's not going to go anywhere. You can call me like a much more deliberate and thoughtful entrepreneur versus, you know, just jumping into it. I want to know specifically, what did you learn from Yodel that you brought with you to Yield Street? So like, what was your superpower that you learned through Yodel that you now get to exercise at Yale Street? I think uh, very prudent, being a very prudent and good steward of capital was very important for, for me. And so I, uh, that was one of the number one lessons, which is we were not reliant on a lot on external funding. We kind of got to cash flow break even and still kept scaling the company. So I think that was, uh, that was, uh, that was very important. Too much, too much, and especially, you know, if you look at the last uh, three, four years, right, Alexa, there has been so much venture capital money where people are raising hundreds of millions of dollars. Yep. And I was never fascinated by those big numbers. For me, it was like, hey, do my, fundamentally, does my business uh, make sense? And does it stand on its own feet? So that was super important to, uh, to me. That was, that was lesson number one. Uh, lesson number two was building a strong core team. And that was very important uh, that... Uh, I personally, we took a, a lot of uh, uh, time and pain to kind of build that uh, you know, solid core team that helped us scale in the first early days, build a very innovative uh, platform. 
uh, and then the 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 last thing really is and it may sound cliched but it's very important is like tenis, uh, tenacity and perseverance right because what happens is outside looking in you saw yodel kind of scaling like this right oh yep. 3 million in revenue 20 65 125 but there were so many ups and downs because we founded yodel uh, in the depths of kind of financial crisis 2007 uh, is where was our first year after our fundraising and like you know we kind of went through that so it I know that there is always the light at the end of the tunnel. With Guild Street also, for the first two years, there would be nobody who would come and buy our investments, right? I would call up my friends and family, we would do <laughs> marketing, try to explain to them what the product is. And it took us time to kind of build that foundation to get people you know, interested because you know, we were a small you know, company, small brand with limited marketing budget. And uh, so that you know, entrepreneur's journey is always highs and lows. And you have to you know, be able to always keep that perspective in mind is that you are on a mission. And, you know, if you are watching the last, uh, last uh, dance, the MGA documentary, right? Even, even the guys like, uh, like Jordan, who are so successful, have those ups and downs. Like, and if you watch Michelle Obama's Becoming, like there is a very fascinating documentary, right? And yep. so you have to keep that perspective that there is going to be highs and lows in your entrepreneurial journey. And you have to keep that perspective, do the right thing, make sure that, uh, you know, you are doing everything uh, in, a, in a manner that is, uh, you know, thinking about, about your customer first. In our case, it's our investor first uh, philosophy. And then everything else will follow. And I, that has been really kind of very important for me. And, and as a Rupert entrepreneur, it's just, you know, you are at ease because you know this too shall pass. And, you know, like, so that's where you can inspire the team, you know. Exactly. Um, last two questions, because um, I know we're going to run out of time here. Um, if there is something that keeps you on the track, you personally, is it sleep? Is it exercise? Is there something you swear by that helps you stay sane through the highs and lows as a founder? It's definitely uh, getting perspective. So talking to my advisors, you know, I know we talk, uh, we talk uh, from time to time. And also I listen to a lot of podcasts while running. So staying fit is very important. Getting the night uh, sleep is very important. It's, you know, some days are, are better than others. But I think that aspect is very important to constantly keep learning uh, and trying to get feedback, not only from your team, but from the market and course correcting. That keeps me sane, right? Like not get stuck. Uh, you know, we sometimes get caught up in our ego, right? And it's very important to understand that, you know, market is telling you something. How do you course correct? And, uh, you know, immediately react to that. I think that's very important as an entrepreneur, as a leader, uh, to make sure that you're like, you know, taking the data and acting on that data. So that kind of helps me keep my uh, sane. But I think the, the work-life balance is, is, you know, it's an overused word, but it's very important to make sure that you're eating healthy and exercising, meditating, whatever it may be your, uh, your mojo that, you know, you're having that because people, frankly speaking, your team is relying on that. So you cannot have, you, know, you cannot show up to the work with like, you know, uh, it's so true. Moves, yeah, you know, and it, it's so true. Your team's relying on you to keep yourself mentally focused and, and, and strong. And so it's, it's so valuable. Um, we're going to do a quick fire round. I'm going to ask two questions. Um, first, I want to know what was your biggest pinch me moment so far at Yield Street? So that moment where you're like, wow, I can't believe that just happened. What was it? So we, uh, hit number 14 on the Inc. 5000 last year. I think that was a pretty proud moment. Number one in New York State, number one in financial services. 
and you know obviously this is uh, as you said on the top of the podcast is the ink ink podcast uh, yodel debuted at number 35 so for me it was a personally uh, high moment to see it uh, as debut at number 14 uh, so i think that was definitely one of them uh, the, the other one really is that we get lot of emails from our investors uh, positive emails with how we have impacted their lives we get a lot of stuff on face uh, on social media where investors wear our swag like t-shirt or something like that post with it and say hey you made a, a material difference in my life i think those things are always very important uh, sometimes we will be traveling and in a airplane with a yield street hat or something like that and people say hey how do you know yield street i am an investor and then you tell tell them that uh, you know uh, you are the founder and having that conversation is like pinch me right because you know consumer <laughs> brand we are still a small brand and so so you know we are not like airbnb or uber that's you know known worldwide yeah. and so those moments are like you know oh my god like you know uh, what is the chance that somebody is saying that hey i am an investor on the platform you know? i love it so now you get to pay it forward to one other brand new company that's out there that you love any small startup that you think we should know about that the listeners should know about that you get to pay it forward to Oh my god there are so many so uh, me and my wife made our investors in a lot of uh, female uh, uh, led uh, companies uh, actually six or seven of them and one of my favorites uh, is Dagny Door it's a it's a it's a handbag company I love them they're so cool I have yeah. one and and so uh, you know I I didn't want to kind of stick with the financial services team I thought I think they're doing an incredible job for professional women and getting so much traction so i'm really proud of them uh yeah for everybody that was dagny dover guys first of all i i hope everyone enjoyed listening to melinda as much as i did uh melin thank you so much for joining us today and everybody out there if you want to check out yield street head to yieldstreet.com uh and think more about your wallet please and you can join us next week for ink the founders project with alexa vontobel looking forward to it and thank you again melin thank you very much